What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Thrive Forever Fit Show. I'm your host, Jay Nixon, and today I've got an absolute treat for you. Today, my buddy Joe DeSena, the founder and CEO of Spartan, the world's largest obstacle course race and endurance brand, is on the show, and it is an unbelievable interview. You guys are going to be so pumped up after you listen to this, you're not going to be able to stand yourself. You're going to want to go get a workout in. So make sure you're not listening to this right before bed or you're not going to be able to sleep all night. Let me give you a little backstory on Joe. I'm going to read this so I don't screw it up. Joe is a New York Times bestselling author of Spartan Up and Spartan Fit, and he's recently released a new book called The Spartan Way. Make sure you get all three of those books. Joe is an absolute rock star of a dude. His vision is to get 100 million people healthy and off the couch. He wants to get obstacle course um, racing, recognizes an Olympic sport, and he wants to guide his kids to be badass, productive, ha happy, healthy human beings. This dude is a killer, man. This interview is so amazing. Joe has um, been so gracious that for one week after this podcast airs, he is going to give free entry to anybody listening into a Spartan race or into the death race. I wouldn't do the death race, guys. Wait till you hear about this. It's going to blow your mind. But if you had never done a Spartan race and you want to and you want free entry, um, you're going to send me an email. Send it to j at nixonelite.com. His email is um, joe at spartan.com. We're going to get you free access to the race of your choice um, if you've never done a race before. Before we start, make sure you have joined Wellness Lab Launchpad on Facebook. It's my free Facebook group, Wellness Lab Launchpad. You're gonna get a lot more of this. You're gonna get a lot more of this energy, inspiration, motivation, a lot more me, a lot more guys like Joe um, into your life, which is gonna make you happier, gonna make you healthier. It's gonna give you the tools and the resources you need. Guys, get yourself a cup of coffee, get yourself a pen, get yourself a piece of paper, Get comfy because this interview is going to blow your mind. I cannot wait for you to hear this. All right. Have a beautiful day. Here we go. Joe, we are live, brother. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. And thanks for uh, bearing with my insanity with this rope. You know what? I love insanity. All my clients, anybody who listens to me knows that I'm a little bit out there. So they're going to dig this. So for you guys that are just listening and not watching, Joe is actually doing a, Joe, what is this? You got some kind of rope you're pulling on, you're doing a. Yeah, my buddy, my buddy Eugene, he makes these uh, continuous ropes for Spartan and it just goes around this uh, pulley basically. And when I'm doing phone calls, I just feel like I don't want to be sitting still. I want to be doing something. So I love that. I do this. I'll probably knock out 1,500 feet of climbing while I'm talking to you. And why not? I, you know what? I do the same thing. If I'm going to be on a call and I know it's, I don't need video for it, and I, I usually walk around. I can't stand to be sedentary while I'm doing anything. I want to be moving and, and, and doing stuff. I agree. So I dig it. So, Joe, we met probably about a month ago at a conference, and I, this dude walked. You're sitting at the front of the room, and some, you, beside you is like this archaic ancient kettlebell. And the then somebody, somebody's like, you take this with you everywhere you go. Yeah. Hang on. Let me go get it. Hold on. Yeah. Let's show the, let's show the people. I think they'll get, they'll get a kick out of this. So while Joe's going to get the kettlebell guys, I mean, this is, this is like a, well, you're going to see it. And for those of you guys, listen, look at this thing. So what is this? From Sparta, Greece. So basically um, it's a stone that came out of a historic site in Sparta. And my buddy um, helped, I don't know, get it all together here with the handle. And uh, we got an ancient, ancient kettlebell there. Problem is, the problem is, 
after I saw you, after you and I met, yeah. I had to go to Spain, Port I had to go to Spain, Portugal, um, Germany, the UK, and then back to Boston. Five countries, five days, and uh, they lost it on me. The airline <laughs> lost it between between the UK and Madrid. It got lost. When I finally got it back in Boston, it's got a hairline crack in it. Uh -huh. So, um, so it is now um, stationed in my office, and I got to go back to a traditional kettlebell. Yeah, probably better to leave it. Leave it be. That's funny. The airlines lost a kettlebell. It's probably the first kettlebell like that. They're probably like, what the heck is this? I know. That's the That's problem a... with me carrying the kettlebell. It always causes a commotion. Now let's let's chat a little bit about that. Why do you do that? What's the what's the what's the purpose of the, the behind that? Well, so um, God, five years ago, six years ago, I helped this guy lose a bunch of weight. He, uh, we, I found out he had done our race. He, he, um, he weighed 696 pounds. Wow. We, we helped him get him down to 265. And um, one of the ways I motivated him was I said, look, as you lose weight, I'll carry weight. So I got him to about a hundred pound sandbag. And uh, that was kind of a nightmare. Oh, and, yeah. and we were moving, my family and I were moving to Asia and I tried to get my sandbag through um, TSA and they didn't let me because it was filled with BBs um, because I had to make it hundred pounds and to get hundred pounds, you need BBs, not sand. Right. And, um, and so when I landed in Asia, feeling naked without my hundred pound sandbag, I told my wife, you know what? I'm gonna keep this thing going. Order me a 20 pound um, kettlebell. Yep. That'll be easier, 20 pounds. I'll still carry around weight, but I'm not gonna kill myself with hundred pounds. Anyway, 20 kg showed up because we're in Asia. Didn't show up, 20, 20 pounds didn't show up. So I'm looking at it for literally 10 seconds and I thought, I gotta return this. But then I said, I can't, the Spartan guy can't return kettlebell mm -mm. because it's 20 pounds too heavy. Mm -mm. So that, that became my MO um, for the last five years. And then um, my friends dug up this ancient kettlebell and that's how I got this thing. I love it. That's so cool. Joe, when this, I mean, everybody wants to know the answer to this question. When did you realize you were different, bro? And let's just be honest, I'm different too. So it's not a bad thing. I think being different is amazing. Like I don't want to be like anybody else, but when did you, when did that switch flip? And you're like, I'm really not like anybody else in the room. You know, what's strange. And I mean this when I say it is I think I'm normal and everybody else is a problem. Like, you know, yeah. you know what I, mean? I, I get it. I ask my wife all the time, I'm like, am I the crazy one or am I normal? And she's like, I can't answer that question. <laughs> I know, I think I'm, I'm normal, you're normal. And um, I don't know, I mean, life is so short. I just wanna squeeze every ounce of juice out of it. I've always been, as soon as sunlight hits my face like a vampire, I sit up straight and I start moving. Yeah. There's no like laying around in bed or, um, and I literally go every day until I can't keep my eyes open anymore and then collapse. Have you always been like that? I've always been like that. And, I, and, I, and if I get on a plane, I collapse. And if I'm sitting, when I was going to college, I sat on a bench outside for a minute, take a look at notes, boom, fall asleep. Because just, like I just take every ounce out of life. And, um, and I always thought, you know, you just assume everybody thinks the same. Mm -mm. But what I'm starting to learn after 50 years is actually um, the difference in my thinking with, with a lot of my colleagues is that I'm always anticipating. 
I'm thinking about tomorrow morning right now. Right. Tomorrow morning, I'm thinking about tomorrow night. I'm always like thinking five steps ahead. And not like some people respond and say, Joe, you got to stop and smell the roses. My response to that is, well, who the fuck is going to trim the roses and water the roses and fertilize the roses? Right. If everybody's smelling the roses, there's no roses to smell. Yeah, without me, there's no roses. There's no roses. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, so you guys are just wandering around looking for something to smell. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. I so, yeah, so I, I, that's the, I would say the difference. And I only learned that recently that I just assumed everybody was five steps ahead, but most people are five steps behind. Well, you know what, when you just said, what you just said is so unique, like you're not interested in conserving energy. You're trying to maximize how much energy can you output? Most people, I think their mindset is like, how much energy can I save? And I don't even think they know what the hell they're saving it for. They just think I need to save this and then they never even use it. You know, my favorite, my favorite discussion around that particular point is um, <clears throat> what about recovery? <laughs> and I think like, what the fuck are you recovering from? You're recovering from being recovered. Like, like this is not the Lewis and Clark expedition where we've been out for 145 days and it's snowing and a wooden wheel is broken, our wagon and, and so-and-so just died. Like then I could say, all right, we, we should take 24 hours and recover. Yeah. Right? Like Shackleton was stuck in the ice for two friggin' years with yeah. his men. They were eating their dogs. Right. You should take a day off when you finally get home. That's you, like that. You deserve a recovery day. You, you, get, you get one recovery day after, after two years in the ice. But I like, see. The, yeah. You, yeah. Same page. I say the same thing. I, most everybody wants to know about recovery and this and that. I, mean, I always tell people like you don't train hard enough. You don't work hard enough. Your life isn't. Your life isn't structured where you need, what are, you, what are you recovering from? You know, you need to seem to go harder. Yeah. And, and so I think, I think the problem most people have is that um, when you work as hard as I just described, where you, where you squeeze every ounce out, you don't conserve energy, right? You, you, you anticipate, you work. There's no time to be depressed. Mm -hmm. There's like, you're, you're just like, you just feel great. There's no, like I, I'd be around depressed people and I don't want to take anything away from, you know, there are folks that just have issues, right? You've got um, physical issues, biological issues, but like I bet most cases are, are, of depression are from not doing enough, right? not from doing too much. Right. It's self-induced. I think what you're describing, like that, that depression, that sadness in, you know, the self-induced stuff is it's because those people are, that's a, that's a reactionary behavior. You, you, when you're reactionary like that, you get depressed. You're not, you don't have time because you're proactively moving to the next step. That's it. You got, you got, if you're always moving, I used to think to myself when I was younger, I'm so busy. Like I, who would have time to be depressed? I don't have really, I don't have any time. And I think that this is the question that, mo that most people are probably thinking is, well, okay, well, I, okay, Jay and Joe, that's cool. But what, what about when I'm not motivated? Well, so what do you, what, what is that? What do you do when you're not motivated to move, Joe? So what I do, cause, cause it ha I'm human, just like you're human, right? Yeah. And so I actually thought about it at 4 a.m. this morning when my alarm went off, um, I was tired. I'm tired every morning when that alarm goes off, right? Yeah. 4 a.m. And I thought, fuck, what am I gonna do? I'm, I've been, by the way, I've been having this conversation forever, right? Yeah. And I thought, um, well, let me just get moving a little bit. And I got moving a little bit. Let me just get the lights on. And I got the lights on. 
you know what I'll do? I'll just brush my teeth. I could always go back to bed. That's always an option. I'll just brush my teeth. And then before you know it, you're going. Right. And so when I don't have motivation, because I'm human just like anybody, I just, I just start pulling on the rope. I just start doing burpees. I, like literally it triggers for me something that says, okay, you're human. I get it. Start moving. Start doing something. And now a psychologist might say, if we had a psychologist on the phone here, might say, well, you're just running from stuff. And I'd say, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not, not running from anything. I'm just keeping busy, keeping yeah. active, keeping healthy. I don't want to sit around and dwell. There's always something to do. Absolutely. I could be cleaning up the house. I could be straightening up the shoes in the foyer. I could take the dog for a walk. I could clean the parrot's cage. There's always something to be doing. Yeah, I would say you're, to me, I think you're running towards something. You're running toward your success. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't believe that, that idea of you're running from something. I mean, you know, I think a guy like you, like you're, you're motivated. And let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that motivation. Like, so the days you don't feel like it, you basically go anyway. You just, you take no, that no, first step. I never really thought about it, and that, but it is exactly what I do subconsciously. And, and, um, and when I've interviewed a lot of Olympians, who are required to put five, seven, 10 hours a day of training in. What I've heard over and over is, I don't wanna go do it from an Olympian. I don't, like, I do not feel like getting on my bike for six or seven hours today, right? And so what they tell themselves, I've heard this a lot, is, you know what, I'm just gonna do 30 minutes today. I'm gonna ride 30 minutes away from the house. 30 minutes leads to an hour, an hour leads to two hours, leads to three hours, before you know it, you gotta get home, you got six hours in, you're done. Right. That's the way you do it. Yeah, you just stack the momentum, and then what, by the by the time you're you're into it, you're into it, and you don't want to quit. And then the other way, the other great way, and that's if you're alone. If you're with somebody, this morning it was about five forty-five. I had to do some filming at four a.m. I had a whole bunch of shit to do, and it was about five forty-five. I got to wake the kids up for their workout, and I needed some intensity. And the film guy was with me, the guy that was, was was filming Alberto. He's awesome. And I said, Alberto, you know what we're doing right now? We're gonna run one minute on the treadmill. I didn't wanna do this. Like, like if I got into my own mind at that moment in time, I don't wanna do what I'm about to tell you we did. We're gonna do one minute on the treadmill, 10 burpees, 10 pull-ups, and we're just gonna rotate. So you're chasing me, I'm chasing you. So first guy breaks, we, we break the cycle. And so we ended up pushing ourselves five times faster and motivating ourselves five times more than, than I would have done alone. Yeah. He was exhausted. I was exhausted. Neither of us wanted to do it and we got it done. I love that. You know, let's talk about that thing. You just mentioned your kids. So you wake the kids up to get their workout in before the day gets kicked off. Yeah, they got like, if you're a kid, let's go back in our mind. If you're listening or watching this and you're a kid, you know, envision yourself as a kid and you're still groggy in, in your first class, that doesn't seem like you're getting your money's worth. Like you're there to learn. You're there to absorb information. And so, we all know as adults, you're gonna do better in the workplace. You're gonna do better in school if you got a little bit of a sweat on first thing in the morning. So, you know, there's listeners out there and people watching that are gonna say, this guy is an idiot. His kids need to go to bed. My response is, yes, the kids should go to bed at 8, 8 p.m. If they go to bed at 8 p.m., they get up at 4, 5.45. The problem with those that don't like what I'm saying is you're letting your kids go to bed at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Right. That's the problem. It's not what time they get up. Let them get up early. And it's a fight. I got a battle to get them up. They get up. They go outside. They do a quick quarter mile to a half mile run. And they get in the gym. 
and then it's, uh, you know, burpees, animal movements, pull-ups, whatever. And I got to coerce them and motivate them, and it's a nightmare. But, but then breakfast is better. School is better. Yeah. Everything's better. Yeah. You're, cre- yeah, you're, you're giving them the habits and the rituals and the standards where for the rest of their life, they're going to – I mean, they may give you a hard time now. I guarantee at some point in their life, they're going to be like, that crazy dude that used to wake me up every day was on to something. Oh, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Because my mother was pushing a lot of this stuff on me and I pushed back. I hated it. And, you know, when I was 30 years old, I was like, oh my God, everything she said was right. Now, what do you mean mom was pushing on you? Mom, mom was a workhorse? Like she was oh, a go? My, my mother found yoga and meditation in 1972. She became a vegan. She was pushing being a vegetarian, being a vegan. I didn't want any part of it. She had monks in the living room chanting, <laughs> doing yoga, meditation. My mother, my mother fasted and meditated for 30 days straight, okay? My, my grandfather had come save her because she was withering away to nothing. And, um, and she was pushing all that hocus pocus crazy stuff because there were no yoga journals back then. There was no Whole Foods. Right. None of these conversations were happening, right? right? Everybody's house was filled with TV dinners, ravioli, sauce and peppers. That, like, that was normal. My mother was not normal. And so I, I pushed back, she, she used to go running, in the park, she'd run 10 miles. 10 miles was like, might as well have been across the country, right? See, you've, come, you've come by a little bit of this, honestly. I mean, you, you know, you grew up watching it and ingrained in you. And I didn't want any part of it. Nobody in the neighborhood wanted any, I was embarrassed that that was my mom. So when did, when did that flip? When did you start to be like, that? my mom's a badass? Like, when did you start I, thinking when that? When I was 30, I took me, it took me literally 30 years to figure it out because, because then I had made some money I wasn't feeling healthy and I started realizing, oh my God, because when you're young, you're indestructible. Right. You could eat McDonald's hamburger. You're, just, you're not feeling, you know, you're not that in tune with your body. But I was 30, like, I'm not feeling good. I'm a bit overweight. I got this business I'm running on Wall Street. I got to get back to doing, I got to do some yoga. I got to go. And literally it was like, oh my God, I feel great. I could make money and feel great. Yeah. And that was it. And is that when, the, is that when the, the dial started to move toward where we are today with Spartan and death 20, race? 20 years ago. That was 20 that. years ago. So where were you? I mean, you may not even know exactly where you were. Where were you when you thought, you know what? I'm going to create the craziest ass obstacle course ever. And I'm going to get a bunch of psychos to come out here and see if they can do it. Like, what, how'd this all come about? Yeah. So, so um, I started doing races 25 years ago. I started doing races. I was racing all over the world and I was feeling great. And I was doing a ton of yoga. And a lot of people would not expect that. A lot of people would say, Joe's telling us to do yoga. Yes. You can do nothing else. Do a ton of yoga because if you're mobile and you're flexible, you avoid injury. Injury is the only thing that stops you from getting to a finish line. Right. You might get there a little slower or whatever, but if you're not injured, you'll get to the finish line. Right. So, so, um, so I'm doing all these races and I'm naturally an entrepreneur. I've always been an entrepreneur. And around 2000, 2001, I said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to set up this thing called Peak. And I bought the URL peak.com and we started putting on events under the, the moniker peak. And uh, first event was in the British Virgin islands. And I had, um, 25 teams of four I had a hundred participants and I lost a half a million dollars putting on that event. Worst, worst storms the uh, British Virgin islands had seen in 10 years. I lost a guy. He drifted 150 miles. The coast guard had to save him. Um, uh, 9-11 happened right before the event. All the sponsors pulled out. It was, it was an absolute um, disaster. I should not have continued putting on events. 
But because I'm a nutcase, I kept putting on events, kept losing money, kept putting on events, kept losing money. And then in 2010, against my better judgment, I decided to change the name to Spartan. I had a buddy from New Hampshire. Every day we used to train. We used to carry dumbbells up to the top of my mountain in the backyard of Vermont. And we'd be carrying these dumbbells and he said, you know, all these stupid races you put on, nobody shows up, you're losing money. You need to do an obstacle race. And this went on for like 10 years. Okay. From, and I, an obstacle race. I said, who would pay to go under bar? Like I could not grasp, like it made sense to me to put on an ultra run. It made sense to me to put on a kayak race. Who's going to go under obstacles. That's stupid. Right. Anyway, in 2010, I bit my tongue and, and we put on an obstacle race. And the first version of it is like light years from what it was. I, the first version of it, the first race, nobody knows this. I had a guy hiding in the woods. Okay. He had a big, um, for lack of a better word, like a jousting stick yeah. uh, with padding on each side, like those gladiator sticks, right? And I said, you hide in the woods, and when runners come down this trail, surprise them and tackle them. And that was one of my, that was one of my obstacles. <laughs> Just pummel people as they come down. Like, because I was making this whole thing up. Yeah, you're just making it up. Making it up. And, and, and anyway, I don't know, 700 people showed up for that first race. The entire, um, um, the entire festival area around noon emptied out. There were, all the people were gone. And I thought, that's strange. It's not, I guess it's not fun to hang. Like I, this was new. This was the first race I had put on, an you know, an obstacle race. And it turned out that all the festival folks, all the spectators and all the racers that had come in already wanted to go see the guy in the woods tackling everybody. <laughs> so, so they had all moved into the woods. It was pretty funny. He was now the show. He was the show. So, was um, so anyway, that was, that was the beginning of uh, where we are today. Today, we, you know, it's 45 countries, 275 events. I'm absolutely losing my mind, but we have an incredible team. And yeah. I'm not saying incredible team that, you know, through, they, they, would have, they would make the post office proud. You know, what's that saying? The post office says, no rain, no sleet, no hail, whatever. You know, they're always showing up. Our team, take that times 10. Our team is indestructible. And, and um, yeah, and so we're putting events on all over the world now. And the goal is to change 100 million lives, to basically sprinkle my mother's message, um, which I wasn't accepting, into uh, 100 million lives. And, you know, sorry, I keep talking, but I, I was listening to Admiral McRaven last night. And... Um, the way to do this is really to convince all the Spartan participants that each one of them has to change 10 lives. That's the deal. When you sign up, you take a pledge. You got to commit. You got to convince 10 people because if you convince 10 people and we all do, we will change 800 million lives. We will get 800 million people off the couch. Yeah. I can't do it alone. I can't, I can't do uh, uh, postcards and digital advertising and all this to do it. I need the people to do the work. Yeah, it's the only way it'll happen is if it if it transcends down through through the the, the individuals. That's it. 100%. What before we move on from the the races like so there's also a thing is the death race still a thing or is that not a thing anymore? Yeah, that's a thing. Okay, you so want, walk me through that. Invite, you want to invite a bunch of your um listeners to death race? Yeah, let's do, you, you know you said something funny. You said um you were talking about this during your your talk at the event and you mentioned the first time you put it on like everybody quit right like they didn't finish or yeah walk me through that 
Yeah, so people were, were quitting and I, you know, you don't make any money with a death race. And so here I was taking three days away from my family, spending, you know, 30 grand to put this thing on, 40 grand. And it just pissed me off that everybody was quitting. Like you signed up for the death race. You signed a death waiver and you're quitting. You trained for six months. So then I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make everybody get an article written in the newspaper and they're going to have to commit publicly that they are going to do this thing. And they're going to be embarrassed in their local community if they if they fail and they quit. So um, all of a sudden, uh, people started staying to the end. That public declaration made it real. And big made a whole change everything. Now, made what? Is, what? Is, give me a, give me a quick synopsis. What is the death race? What what makes it different than a normal Spartan race? So I'll describe um, last year, or the year before his death race. Last year's death. Yeah, it was last year's. Death race. I'll describe it for you. It was um, started in a church in the woods in Vermont at midnight. Chop a bunch of wood. Race really hasn't started yet. People are fumbling around, but they got to chop X amount of wood before it could start. And they carry, I believe, about half their body weight over the mountain to our farm, which, you know, maybe they put in 35, 40 miles. Okay. Half their body weight. Okay. They get that over to the farm getting warmed up and we said all right we got a barbed wire course here you're gonna do a 26.2 mile barbed wire crawl what? Giddy up, right <laughs> I got 26.2 mile barbed wire crawl yeah so I got I got Guinness book there to set the Guinness book record they got the barbed wire crawl done and I tell and by the way it changes every time it's subject to change during the race it's my rules I do whatever I want me and my team after you get the barbed wire curl done, go to the top of the mountain, you're gonna do 3,000 burpees. They do 3,000 burpees, getting warmed up, right? Come down and head over. I had 12 of these rope machines that I'm on right now. I had delivered and we put it in the woods, in this beautiful rack. And I said, you know what? Let's make them do a 26.2 mile rope climb. Wait until you see, I documented the whole thing. We filmed it. That's just one year. Every year is something different. I, I, we make it up as we go along. But wait until you see what the 12 remaining people on the rope look like after eight or nine hours pulling this rope, after doing the 3,000 burpees and the barbed wire crawl and the hike over the mountain. It's amazing anybody's alive. So, tw did tw so 12 people, was that the finish? Was the rope the finish? Well, Twelve people stayed on the road right to the end. Yeah. How many people started? Oh, don't 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 hold me to it. Well, ballpark. One hundred seventy-five or some. Yeah. So they're just they're just falling like flies. Oh, they, they got crushed, and and some of the biggest talkers, uh, they go right away. Yeah. Well, it's the quiet, the quiet ones, the you know the the, the female teacher, the 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 skinny CEO, like. Uh, downhill skiers. Downhill skiers outperform everybody in that event. Why do you think that is? I think I, I couldn't figure it out for, for 10 years. I was scratching my head. My kids got into downhill skiing. If you're a downhill skier, there are days. First of all, you grew up putting on boots and all that gear and going out in the snow, right? right. So you're used to just dealing with being uncomfortable. Right. But then there are days, if you're like a racer, so I meant downhill ski racers, not just regular downhill skiers. Right. Downhill ski racer, you've stood on top of the mountain sometimes for three or four hours in a hailstorm, 
standing there waiting for your slot to go for like a one and a half minute race, right? Yeah. You, you, you have built a layer of grit that most people don't have. Yeah. Most people can't stay in a, in a cold shower for 30 seconds. Most people can't stand in line at Starbucks for 30 seconds without yeah. raising hell. Well, imagine standing on the side of a mountain in shitty, shitty weather right. and just waiting for your slot to go and, and you don't even make top 10. And then you gotta go wax the skis, sharpen the skis, put everything and do it all over again the next day. Yeah, so they've almost built this tolerance to nonsense and so they can just- <laughs> They can just deal with it. Yeah, they can just handle it. Because most people probably break because of the mental even just before, like, what am I doing out here? Joe's got us doing three. This is ridiculous. This is yeah. stupid. And they talk themselves. Uh, I've, watched, I've watched thousands of people talk themselves logically out of the race only to send me a letter one week, two weeks, five weeks later. It's like, I can't believe you got me. Yep. It was like, I had guys that are really, really tough guys, downhill skiers, actually. One guy who, who saved a bunch of people in a burning helicopter. He got burned. I mean, really tough guys. And they were leading the death race one year way ahead of everybody, crushing it. They were a team of three, they stayed together, crushing everybody. And um, unbeknownst to them, the race was gonna be over in six hours, right? They were, they were already 60, 70 hours in. I knew it was gonna be over in six hours, nobody else knew. And I decided to say out loud, so everybody would hear on the radio, yeah, I think we're gonna take this thing till Monday afternoon, make sure, and I just, I kind of slipped it in to the conversation. Yeah. Well. They come up to the table where we got, you know, bibs and everything. This is bullshit. We're leading the race and you're, we can't take this to Monday. We're quitting. And they thought, they thought that because they were leading the race and they were so badass that by threatening to quit, I would change rule. I would, I was like, quit. I don't, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Go now, on. number four, you're in first, yeah. right? Congratulations. Congratulations. Move out of the way. One, two, and three, right? Yeah. Race was over six hours later. They were miserable. I bet. Miserable. They came to see me with their wives the next day. We deserve for a second. You don't deserve anything. No. I, you are the people. I just want to check. You are the people that stood in front of me at that table and said you quit. I can't even tell you how many thousand people I've seen do that. Why do you think that is? I mean, because I see it all the time too. You see it in just normal everyday activity. People talk business, themselves out of success. Businesses, relationships, yeah. jobs. Um, listen, we all have, there's a Brazilian saying, I don't, I don't know it, but it basically states there's two crickets. Uh, there's a ton of analogies like this, right? And, and one is constantly chirping to quit and stop. And the other one is like, keep going. And right, it, 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 there's another one, there's a child um, story of the wolf or the whatever and, and ask the dad, well, which one? Do you feed? I forget how it goes, but the point is, um, we've got good and evil in our head. Things that things that are uh, come bubbling up and telling us to quit, and things that are bubbling up and saying, "Come on, hang on," it's easier to quit. Bottom line is, it's easier to quit. Oh, always. I think always. the humans always look for the path of least resistance. Yes, and so. But and what so what's the differentiator, though, Joe? Because I don't. I have a for me like quitting. It all. It's almost it almost comes to a point of like you could die, like, or I might, I might lose my leg. Like I would, you don't I have to, to weigh those two things out, but I'd rather die. I believe, I believe the differentiator is your frame of reference. So if we plucked, if, if you and I were going to do a 500 mile run through the uh, tundra and we had to get a third teammate and we plucked that third teammate out of like Northern Siberia, 
who had very little food growing up, you and I don't have a chance. Like, like that guy or that girl, like, they're like, this is the vacation. Right. We're doing 500 miles. This is vacation. Yeah. So, so it really depends on your frame of reference, the, the set of glasses that you wear through life, your beliefs, your experiences, whatever. And so that's why I, I maintain that people have to practice adversity, right? You've got to do, like we, we are all learning helplessness in this new technologically advanced world where you could just order attack. Like we used to actually have to read maps. Right. We used to actually have to have a quarter in our pocket to put in a payphone and dial somebody and hopefully they answered to communicate. Life has gotten so easy that we're learning helplessness. And so the differentiator to your question is, look, there's a bunch of bows and arrows on this wall. I don't know if you could see them. Yeah, I can see it. Mongolian bows and arrows, right? Um, those folks don't have to practice adversity. <laughs> it's there every day. It's there every day. And, um, and there's a, 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 probably a large portion of the 7 billion people on earth that uh, don't have to practice adversity. But uh, us, us cushy folks in, in the first world that have it way too easy, uh, we got to do some hard shit every day um, just so that we could build some calluses on the brain. Because otherwise, we shriek at the first sign of discomfort, and we quit. So let's, let's talk about that training adversity type of thing, because is, what, what do you see people when they do that? Like, is, it, um, is there a certain subset of people that like, will, will go through that adversity and get stronger, and then the rest will just quit? Do you think there's a differentiator when it comes to that, like even with the training of it? No, we're all human. And, and humans have, you know, we've been on the planet for a million plus years. So we all have the ability um, to uh, tough it out. Uh, and so you just got to, I used to, I used to have my wife drop me off 40 miles from the house with no money. And I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get home. I gotta figure it out. Right. I gotta run home. Yeah. So, so, um, so if, if, if you put yourself in those situations where you have no choice, what ends up happening is you start to build this thing called future memory. You, you, you get to that finish line, you get home after 40 miles and your brain releases a whole uh, uh, pharmacy of, of chemicals and it creates dopamine pathways. And it's like, oh my God, this feels great. I crush it, right? But, but what it does is the next time you get on a starting line, the next time you go to do something hard, it gives you a taste of those same chemicals. So success breeds success. So, Look, maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be 40 miles, but you know, maybe it's one mile outside in the cold. I saw a woman, there was a big snowstorm here in Boston the other day, and I saw a woman go outside and bundle up. Nobody was outside. Right. And I said, good for her, right? Like she, so, and maybe that was a half a mile walk or two miles. I don't know what she did, but, but um, things like that build it. I used to go kayaking in the winter. I used to just do crazy stuff, carry sheets of plywood through the snow up to the top of the mountain just so I could put myself in tough situations so that, you know, they used to say about the ancient Spartans, the other kings and queens in neighboring um, cities and so forth would say, those damn Spartans, they like going to war because it's easier than the training they put themselves through. So that, I want to shift there because I'm thinking about like the workouts that I put my clients through at my studio. And I'm going to tell you about that in a second and get your perspective. What is a normal, because you, you kind of described a workout this morning when your, your camera guy got there, you're like, hey, minute on the treadmill, burpees, this, this. Is that an, is that an average days of workout or you just come up with crazy shit or do you like, I, I, can't, I can't imagine you in a squat rack doing three sets of 10, you know, chalking up, you know, checking your phone, that type of shit. Like, yeah, what's that's, a, not my, that's not my thing. So, 
my thing is obviously burpees. Mm -hmm. I love burpees. Um, I believe it's uh, God's gift uh, to us. Um, and uh, because of my mom and the mobility and flexibility focus, I've got, I think, 21 or 22 body weight movements that I do, I would say, 99% of the time, every day. It takes me, if I'm flying, if you and I were competing with each other, I could probably get it done in 35 minutes. Otherwise, it takes me like 55 minutes to get them done. Um, it's 50 reps of each if I'm not getting ready for a race. So that's like 1,100 repetitions um, of all kinds of movements that are building mobility, flexibility, strength, and, and some cardio. And then I make sure I get some other cardio in. Um, so that could be a run. It could be, it could be whatever. Um, and, then, and then wherever I can, I carry the kettlebell back and forth so that adds a little bit there. In the office, I try to knock out this rope climber. Uh, tonight when I go home, I'll try to get my last meal in by five, and then I'll do something for 20 or 30 minutes. But not, not super intensity, but just something. Because yeah. um, I like to, I don't know, I like to finish off the day with something. I might wrestle, I might wrestle my kids, I don't know. Yeah, just something to get active. Yeah. yeah, I have a studio here in Palm Springs, California, and it's about a thousand square feet. I've got, a, I've got two rowers, I've got an assault bike, some kettlebells, but people will walk into my studio and they'll be like, where's all the, where's the machine? And I, uh, my, my statement is always, I'm looking at it. Yeah. And they're like, what do you mean? So I'm a big body weight guy. So a lot of people are like, well, why don't we lift more weights? Why don't we do more of this and that? And I'm like, if you can't move the thing you came in with, yeah. why in the hell would you want to pick something else up that you can't move? Yeah, right. You know? And so I think burpees are, are amazing. So almost every day in my studio, burpees are a component of the workout. And when I first started doing that, my clients were like, what do you mean we're going to do 100 burpees? So I put 100 burpees on the board. Right. Now they see 100 burpees on the board. They're like, thank God he's in a good mood. Yeah, yeah. And so some days literally we'll do 500, you know, in a, in a 30 to 45 minute time span, my clients will knock out 500 burpees. And we're talking about attorneys, teachers, people that when they first came in could barely tie their own shoes, weighed 300 pounds. Now they're cranking out 100 burpees and being like, now what, Jay? What do we do now? We pull sleds. We, you know, I make them carry 50-pound balls around the building in the rain. Yeah. It's very unconventional, but my theory is this. I'm get, yes, am I getting them fit 100%, but I'm getting them ready for life. So yeah. when life shows up with that big adversity, they're like, if I can recall all that sh crazy shit Jay makes me do, this isn't even that big of a deal. I, I love what you just said. I was... Um... Last year, like on the weekends, if I got to take my kids skiing or I got to bring them to a wrestling tournament or something, I incorporate my workout into my life because um, I'm never going to just sit around like right now I'm on the rope, right? And right. last year I was, um, when they would ski on the ski team, I would carry a kettle, that kettlebell up the mountain. So the people on the chairlift were looking down and they're seeing this guy walk up. And I wear ski boots to make it harder on me, right? Because it's hard to walk with ski boots and I got a kettlebell on my shoulder. What are you training for? life like that is my answer like i don't need to be training for i'm training for life yeah i agree with that yeah. you got me thinking man a dude like you what I, I have this theory about having like a circle of success like you know wow. success breeds success like you said earlier you know we mimic success like do you have like a core set of people around you that are like you know i, w I won't use motivated and inspirational to you but like that just make you want to be a little bit better yeah, I got, I got one of my best friends is, um, one of my best friends looks like Adonis. He just was born to lift cars. He's just, looks like 
looks like the rock, a smaller version of the rock, yeah. right? So, so I've always got that aspiration. Just I'm never going to be that. Right. I got my other buddy who's um, managed thirty-eight billion dollars. So like, he's doing crazy, crazy well. And so I'm never going to be that. Um, his brother is like the smartest guy on the planet. Never going to be that. <laughs> so I got these five or six people that are just in their way so much better than me, but it's good. That's beautiful. It's good, right? It, it just keeps me striving. Yeah, I think being the dumbest guy in the room, for lack of a better term, everybody's heard that story, is it, it's a gift if you're in the right room. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you're in a room with a bunch of dummies, then it's not a great thing. But if you're in the room with those guys and you're like, hey, I'm not this, this, or this, but I'm damn sure better than I would be if I wasn't in this room. That's right. So yeah, I think that's important. You said a couple things at the conference that I've, I've been using with my clients. So I want to thank you for that. I loved it when you told the story about, um, about the rowing team, about does it make the boat go faster? Yeah. So does, it, does, it, does this decision make the boat go faster? I found that to be the, a really cool story. And it's something I've thought about since the day you said it. And then you also said, somebody in the room asked you, they said, hey, Joe, what do you do on the days that you don't want to do it? You don't want to get up. You don't want to get there. And you said, I just think to myself, like, what would the average person do right now? And I just do the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with both those things. I, matter of fact, that filming we were doing at 4 a.m. Uh, this morning that I covered the will it make the boat go faster topic. And, and the idea simply is um, if you and I were sitting in a rocket uh, ship in the cockpit and there were 100 dials in front of us, and by accident, your elbow touched one of those dials and, and moved one of the dials just a millimeter to the left. It's no big deal. There's a hundred dials. You only touched one, one millimeter to the left, except you and I end up on the wrong planet in that rocket ship, right? And so the point is those seemingly insignificant decisions, day in, it's a birthday. What's the big deal? Have the ice cream, go to bed. Like, oh, let them have fun, right? I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to that were on the cusp of, of greatness in their life, how they defined it, like getting into the Olympics, building a business, whatever it is. And then when you dig deeper, they just, they made stupid, small decisions that seemed insignificant at the time, but didn't get them to where they were going. And so the story you brought up about the boat is an Olympic rowing team, an eight man team. And the coach said, look, there's no way we're going to win the gold, but we got to try. And so what we're going to do is, every, I get chills every time I say this, um, what we're going to do is every time we make a decision, we're going to ask ourselves, will that decision, will the answer to that question make the boat go faster? And if the answer is no, we're not doing it. Guys, let's go get some ice cream. Will it make the boat go faster? No. All right, we're not getting ice cream. Guys, let's go hang out with the girls tonight. It was a great day rowing. Will it make the boat go faster? No, we're not doing it. And so if you treat life that way, again, there's going to be people listening and watching this podcast and they're going to say, doesn't sound like you ever stop and smell the roses. Well, listen, if that rowing team stopped and smelled the roses, they wouldn't have got the gold medal that they got. So it depends what you want. If you want roses, then yeah, yeah. <laughs> go get roses. Right. No, I right? agree. And most people, um, I think a lot of people defer to what they really don't want because they're not willing to, to make that decision. Does it nobody make wants to make, nobody wants to, the, the amount, there's a great article. I think it's, I think it might be Elon Musk's ex-wife wrote a, a great op-ed piece um, about what it takes 
the sacrifice it takes for extreme success. Like it's extreme sacrifice that I don't think people understand, especially, especially in this world of like instant gratification and seeing everything on social media and it's so easy and like, oh my God, I mean, Spartan's a 20 year old overnight success, right? You don't see the 20 years under the iceberg. You only see the tip and it's like, oh, that guy, he got lucky. No, let me tell you, <laughs> there was yeah. no ever. <laughs> oh yeah, people go to one of your races, they see thousands and thousands of people. They're like, man, I should have done this. Yeah. I should have started one of these. Easy, right? Yeah. I mean, you just set up a bunch of obstacles, got a bunch of nutbags out here. They're going to run around. Like, or, no. or, or a really fit sprinter uh, on, on the track. And it's like, oh, well, they're gifted. Well, they work 25 years to get there. Yeah, they, they work 25 years to be gifted. <laughs> yeah. So. And I think what you said, too, is, is hyper important. I think we need, to, we need to success and failure. Everybody thinks that the, it's, it's because of a big thing. And it's not, it's always those small, tiny little dials. Tiny little things that just seem like no big deal. Every day, my wife and I battle in a good way about like, nope, kids got to do math and Mandarin. Math and Mandarin, and I sound like a broken record. Math and Mandarin, did they do the math and Mandarin? Math and Mandarin, math. And, and it's like, listen, when it's time for them to go into college, if that's what they decide to do, uh, this is gonna give them an edge on that. Just, just, a, just a tiny edge. But those tiny edges add up to gold medal. Yep. That brings me to the next question my wife wanted me to ask you. How does your wife handle your intensity? Because I can be a bit, you know, sometimes she looks at me and she just does this. She just shakes her head like, you got you to you relax. You got to calm down a little bit. You know, it's funny. If my, wife, if my wife comes to a race, let's say, and some people come up and they're like, oh, my God, Joe, how you doing? And, and, and my wife will say, you know, under her breath, like, oh, you're so cool. You're cool for about four days. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're a fucking nightmare to live with. So, so like there is a dark side to, to getting after life this way. It, it comes, it comes with a price and that price is just re I'm just relentless. I just don't stop. My father, my father, we didn't talk about my father was like, Hey dad, you told me to wax the car. I waxed the car, which is probably just a way to get me out of the house. Cause we didn't have video games back then. Right. Go wax it again. I don't like the way it was done. Right? You get it done again. Well, you know what? You missed five. Like, it just never stopped. Yeah. He just was like relentless. You could never sit still. There was, there was, um, we had a bunch of bricks in front of that, like, like a truckload of bricks in front of the house that had to get into the backyard. And so, um, I really wanted to take Sunday off. I needed one recovery day. <laughs> I wanted one day off. Like, my father was just torturing me. And, uh, I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna surprise them. I'm gonna stay up all night. Me and my cousin are gonna move every one of the bricks and then I'll sleep in Sunday because I got the job done. Yeah. I was so tired. We got the last brick in. It was probably five in the morning. Went into the uh, kitchen to get a glass of water. Fell asleep in the kitchen in the chair because I was so exhausted. He comes down at like 5.30 a.m., kicks me and says, hey, I see you got the bricks done. Now we got a lot more time to get more done. Like it never ended. You and I had a little bit of the same thing. So my dad, uh, my dad got killed when I was five, but I, so I have very few memories of my pops, but I remember we lived out in the country. We had pigs and cows and a farm. And I remember at five years old, Saturday morning, sitting at the breakfast table, not getting ready to go dick around. My dad was like, you boy, we, we, I shovel pig shit. I clean, I'm five years old, Joe. He's like, here's a shovel. It's a little one so you can handle it. 
Like I've been working since I was born. I love it. I love so it. I just don't know any other way. So when somebody tells me like, oh, my job's so hard, I'm like, you mean the job with the air conditioning and the desk and the chairs oh, and all the pens and nothing drives me crazy in that the place. break room, all that. Even, that they don't even know what a job is. That place? That place doesn't sound hard. I mean, there's people out there that would be like, I'll go there every day. That's that frame of reference though that we talked about earlier, right? That's that that northern Siberian man or woman. They they would come and say they'd laugh. They'd laugh at at, at somebody's statement that, oh, my job's so hard. And you said something too, like I, I remember the, I'm recalling the, some of your conversation you had that day you were there. Um, do you really disconnect the, uh, the elevator in the office or are you bullshit? Yeah, no, no, we, we disconnect it. Hey, can't get, can't get up this elevator. So you find people and sometimes I find people waiting for the elevator work and I flip out down there. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're really going to see if this elevator, like get up the stairs, let's go. Yeah. And then when people bring in like stuff, you'll, you'll throw like stuff in the trash, like you know, cupcakes and shit oh, like I that. Throw, I throw it out. I get in fights all the time with people. I, my CMO had a cookie. We're in a big meeting, like 20 people in the room. I took the cookie. She didn't notice because she was speaking and I replaced it with an apple. <laughs> and so like two minutes later, she goes to grab the cookie and was baffled. <laughs> See, you're like me. So we don't have a lot of crap around the house, but like around the holidays, like somebody will send my wife like, like a, a box of like cookies or chocolates or something. She'll eat a couple and then she'll go to work or she'll come back and I'll have thrown them away. And That's she'll right. be like, hey, where? And I'm, she's like, you son, you did you? And I'm like, yeah, I did. I, had, I, I can't help myself. I got um, to connect you. You got to send me an email and, and anybody listening could get my email. Joe at Spartan.com. I'm going to send you an email. There's a guy I just met uh, who's the tennis coach uh, in Palm Springs. I got to connect you with him. Oh, cool. I love that. I love that. It's a big deal. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I'd love to get connected with him. I got one more question for you, man. This comes from a buddy of mine, Kevin. So you've obviously seen a lot of people do your races. I mean, I've watched a lot of your videos. I mean, you got para, you know, people out there with one leg, you know, people missing both legs. Like what's one of the biggest inspirational like takeaways that you've seen not necessarily from your aspect, but from watching another human do these, do these things that you set up, these races. You know, you know, there's a guy, Casey McAllister. First of all, two people you got to get on your podcast, Casey McAllister and my buddy, Zach Evanash. I'll connect you with both of them. Please. But, but Casey, my assistant who books all my stuff for me, she said, um, boy, this guy, Casey, such a nice guy. And, um, she books literally thousands of things between podcasts, interviews, trips, this, that. So she talks to thousands of people, Spartans, non-Spartans, business people. But Casey really stood out in her mind. Anyway, I said, you know, Casey, he doesn't have legs. He got run over by a truck when he was eight years old. And his whole thing is he's happy to be alive because he should have been dead. Yeah. And she like her jaw dropped, my assistant's jaw, she's like, guy's the nicest guy in the world. And I remember her saying that and then seeing him at Spartan races where he, he'll come across the finish line after whatever, 10 hours, 12 hours, just with his arms, right? He's got no legs. And he'll say to me at the finish line, and I'm, by the way, I'm standing at the finish line for an hour waiting for him cold. I'm cold waiting for him. And he's out there forever, 12 hours, right? You're having a rough day. And he'll smile ear to ear and I'll say, Joe, that's all you got? I thought you were gonna give me something tough, right? And, and I just thought to myself like, we just need all need to be more grateful for um, because rather than him looking at it and saying, Hey, I'm missing my legs. He's looking at it saying, I'm lucky I'm alive. 
Yeah. That's, you know, that's so powerful. I, I'm a weird, I'm a weird dude. So every morning, the first thing I do, my eyes open, I say, holy shit, I'm alive. And then I just go after it. Cause I just, I don't know. It's probably from my, you know, my, the things that have, the course, the perspective I have. Your dad, your dad, your dad died at a young age. So you get it. Yeah. It's, it's a gift, man. And I wake up every day and I'm like, I always, you know, I always think about it, do my gratitude and everything. And I, the first thing I say is like, I'm so thankful today for the opportunity to change somebody else's life. That's right. And so you're, you're doing that on a daily basis. I mean, these races are obviously spectacular, but you know what you've done? You've given Casey an opportunity to feel that in a big ass way. You know what I mean? He's happy to be alive, but I bet when he crosses that finish line, I bet he's, he, I bet he didn't give a shit about no legs, whatever. He's just, uh, he's amazing. He's amazing. He's jacked about life. I'm excited about that, dude. That'll be awesome. Dude, you are a freaking, I mean, I could talk to you for days. You're a rock star. Um, my clients have been, my clients have been just stoked about this. We, we had to reschedule. And today, like my, my buddy, um, Jared came in, he's like, Hey, did I miss that fucking interview? And I'm like, relax, <laughs> relax. Like he was pissed. Hey, um, I've done 1500 feet. So that's we, good. I knew you were going to get it. I knew you were going to get it. Dude, what's one thing, what's one thing you would tell the people? And I know you get this stupid question all the time, but like, just to be a little bit better. Like what can, what can somebody do today that's on the fence and on the cusp? They hear it from me all the time. I just want them to get a different perspective from a different voice. Like if they're on the fence about their own success, like what's the one piece of advice you give them? We probably already given them a ton. Well, I mean, I don't know if this is answering the question well or not, but I think if you want to be, I mean, this is going to sound selfish and silly, but like just doing 30 burpees every morning and taking an ice cold shower, will uh, set your whole day up for success. You'll be nicer to people. Uh, you'll have a little kick in your step. Um, your body will function better. You'll probably eat healthier because you did that. So like, um, you can't take care of other people if you don't take care of yourself. Yep, you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. Lastly, Joe, somebody wants to sign up for one of these badass races. What's, is it just Spartan.com? Spartan.com or that we should do a challenge um, first off, uh, why don't you round up by next Friday, we'll give everybody a challenge. Whenever you publish this, give it one week from then. Okay. Uh, whoever wants to do death race, they got to raise their hand. We'll, we'll have some kind of challenge. Okay. And then whoever wants to do a Spartan race, who's never done one before, I'll give you free entries. You are. Oh, we're only going to do one week because they got to commit. I don't yeah. want people on the fence. I agree. I'm a committal guy too. So one week after we publish that, anybody who's never done a Spartan race, Joe's going to give you guys free access to a race. We'll hook all that up, make it happen. Dude, that is rock star. That is awesome. And that is uh, super generous of, of you. And that's a, it's a big deal. I appreciate that. No problem. And much thanks, dude, for coming on the show. I know everybody's going to love this. They're going to be pissed we didn't talk for uh, another hour. But I want to respect your time, dude. So thank you for coming on the show. And we'll talk to you soon. You're awesome. Thanks. And then I'll and shoot me an email. I'll connect you with Palm Springs guy. You got it, brother. All right, bye. See you, man. Okay, guys, if you loved that episode, and I hope you did, it was one of my favorite um, episodes to date. Um, I love talking to Joe. I probably could have done that for two hours. But I want you to do something for me if you loved it. If you loved it, I want you to share it with somebody else who might enjoy it as much as you did. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you know every time I deliver a new episode. And then what I want you to do is I want you to go to Facebook and I want you to go to Wellness Lab Launchpad. It's a free group. You're going to get more content just like this. It's a place in a space where I provide you with free information, free inspiration, free motivation, free tips, free strategies, free tools, 
that will help you get to the next level of life or wherever it is you want to go. It's 100% free, guys. I promise you it will be the best Facebook group you are a part of. I will bring you massive value. So thank you for sharing this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'll see you in the Wellness Lab Launchpad. Have a beautiful rest of your day. All right, bye guys.